Well, amen. Thank you, team, for leading us this morning. He is worthy, and God is on the move. That's one thing that is on my heart today that, you know, sometimes we think that when the sun is shining is the only time when good things happen, and we would say metaphorically that the sun really hasn't been shining in our world very much lately, but God does some of his best work in the most difficult times, and I'm encouraged that he is worthy, the worthy one, the line of Judah who triumphs over death and hell and the grave is at work in our midst, in our culture, in our church, and so you can be encouraged today. Thank you so much, team, for reminding us of these truths. Well, good morning, Seth Shore. Good morning, everybody watching us online. We are really glad that you're here with us today. I hope you have your Bibles with you as we begin our fourth message in the book of Colossians in a series called Jesus Over All. Today, we're going to focus on Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 2-5, so the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2. It is a portion of scripture that summarizes Paul's calling in his work. I've entitled this message, Faithful Ministry, Faithful Ministry. We're going to look at what Paul's ministry was, that he was faithful to it. And I'm thinking this morning as we begin about faithful ministry, not only of Paul's ministry, but of people that, that I know have been faithful in ministry, either that I have read about or that I've worked with or seen in, in my day. And then I also think about the faithful ministry that God calls myself and you too. All of us are called to be faithful in ministry. I think of some people that you might know of who are faithful ministers of the gospel, someone like Hudson Taylor who in the mid-1800s was called to go to China. And if you've any, read any of his story, you'll know what he, what he suffered and what God did through him and his team of people to reach uh, millions of people with the gospel. I think of Jim Elliott and those men and women who went to Ecuador, to Quito, Ecuador, in the mid-1950s, uh, we, I think we just celebrated or remembered, I guess, the 65th anniversary of, of their, their death uh, at the hands of the Auka Indians uh, as they brought the gospel, faithful ministers. I think of a pastor that I served with in Ottawa, Ray Erickson, who's gone home to be with the Lord. I think of his faithful ministry, 40 years of service in, in various churches in Ontario. And I just am so thankful today that there's people that we know that have been faithful in ministry. Who are you thinking of today as you think of faithful ministers of the gospel? And maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was your, your grandmother or your grandfather. Do you have somebody in mind who was faithful in the gospel? Well, what we're going to see and be encouraged by today is that the Apostle Paul was faithful to his ministry, and God calls us to minister as well. Well, as we introduce this text what we find in this portion of scriptures like others in Paul's letters, he gives the recipients details of his personal ministry. He introduces himself, he expresses his concern for them, he gives thanks for them, and he often prays for them. That's what we've seen in a number of his epistles. Now, none of these people in Colossae knew Paul personally. We know that. So this section functions as an introduction to Paul, and it serves as an introduction to his ministry, and the three things that we're going to see today about what it means to be faithful in ministry is, number one, it's the cost, second of all, it's the commission, and third of all, it's the calling. The cost, the commission, and the calling. If you like alliteration, there you go. Uh, the, uh, the cost, the commission, and the calling. Those are the three things that we'll, we'll bring out in the message today in this text. As we heard over the last two weeks, Paul wants to restore the Colossians' confidence in the supremacy of Jesus Christ. We saw that in verses 15 to 20. And last week we heard about the future hope that these believers had that was to influence their present pursuit of Christ in their own sanctification. 
this pursuit was to help arm them, not only the pursuit, but the knowledge of Christ was to help arm them against the influence of the false teachers. And Paul is reminding us that everything that we need is in Christ. The treasures of wisdom and knowledge is found in Christ. And in spite of the influence of these false teachers, Paul is saying, you do not need to look anywhere else. Christ is all. So where does Paul find himself when he's writing? Well, despite the fact that he is far away from them, and he is, in fact, in prison, he's rejoicing. Now, this section is bookended with this idea of rejoicing. You can see it if you have your Bibles. Verse 24 says this, now I rejoice. Right at the beginning, he says, now I rejoice. Right off the top. He's excited. He's glad. He's rejoicing. And at the very end of this section in in, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, the word comes up again. He says this. He said, yet I am with you in spirit rejoicing. So that's the tone of the letter. This is that's the tone, excuse me, of this section, and this is not an easy section of Scripture. This, this is a very sober section. Uh, it's, it's filled with uh, a lot of uh, sober, stark warnings and challenges, but, but he's saying in the midst of all of the, the difficulty that I'm going to talk about and what I've gone through for you, my heart is overflowing with joy and gladness. What a, what a blessing that is. And that's amazing that Paul is full of joy even in a horrible place, imprisoned, and even in troubling circumstances. And what are those troubling circumstances? Well, he's addressing a very real threat to the church. And, and right off the top for us, that's an encouragement to us. It's an encouragement to me that regardless of where we find ourselves right now, regardless of what's going around us or what's going on all around us, we always have much cause to rejoice. There's always something that we can rejoice in because God is at work. And and why is that? Why can we rejoice in the worst and the darkest and the most difficult circumstances? Well, just I'll bring you back to it again. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord over all. And he's bringing us home to be with him to an indescribable glory. And nothing, as we just finished singing about a little while ago, nothing can take that away from us. He is holding us fast And this is our guarantee. And so in that, we rejoice. We take that in again. We have every reason to rejoice, brothers and sisters, today. Paul is, he's glad because of what he's heard from Epaphras. He's rejoicing in what God is doing in this church. However, Paul is deeply concerned about the deception that's lurking from false teachers who are attempting to dissuade the church from Christ's sufficiency. So you have these two things that are happening. He's rejoicing, but he's deeply concerned, and he's deeply grieved, and he's troubled. Let's now look at the text before we jump into this message on faithful ministry. Take your Bibles. Let's turn together to Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 24. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul writes, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and I And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to the saints. To them, 
God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's just turn our hearts to the Lord and ask for his help. And now, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes and open our hearts to receive the living word. Lord Jesus, be glorified as we declare the truths of Scripture. Father, be magnified as we lift up the name of your Son. And Father, would you help me to proclaim as I ought these truths for the good of the people of God and your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage describing faithful ministry breaks into two sections, and here they are. Paul speaks generally about his ministry in the first section, verses 24 to 29, and we can see, we're going to call this, Paul was faithful to God's purpose. The first section is that he was faithful to God's purpose. And then he applies this ministry call, this commission to the believers in in Colossae, and that's where we see the next section in verses 1 to 5. The second section is this, Paul was faithful to God's people. In the opening section, Paul is faithful to God's purpose. In the second section, he is faithful to to God's people. Let's look at this first one, faithful to God's purpose, verses 24 to 29. Paul was a servant of the gospel. We could summarize the section. He was a servant of the gospel, working to make the word of God fully known. In the section, we're going to see the cost and the commission that he was given by God. Now, to state the obvious, as we look at the cost, what it cost him, what we notice right away is that there's significant cost to faithful gospel ministry. This can be seen from the opening verse and also in 129 and 2.1. He begins, he said, now I rejoice in my what? In my sufferings for your sake. Now this verse is quite startling, uh, perplexing, and troubling for a couple of reasons. First, we say, how is it that Paul could say I'm rejoicing in my sufferings? How can someone say that? You know, we try to escape discomfort at all costs. We have pills and medications and solutions for many things that ail us and bother us. Uh, We grumble when we suffer, and we view discomfort as something that is mistakenly come into our lives. It kind of escaped the notice of God, and like, what's this doing here? That's our our reaction to to pain and, and sufferings and struggles. We don't like it. We don't want it. Well, It is not so. It is not so. 
we can rejoice because it has not escaped the notice of God. God is fully in control. A look at the New Testament will remind us that suffering, listen, is part of following Christ. Suffering is part of following Christ. No one, brothers and sisters, is amused, excuse me, is immune. I guess we're not amused either. No one is immune from suffering. It's a normal part of the Christian life. We don't always think that way. We don't always believe it. Afflictions do have a purpose, right? We know that God uses afflictions and struggles and suffering to refine our faith and to prepare us for this future glory that we've been talking about. But at the same time, the Calvary Road is a road of boundless joy. We've just been talking about that. He's rejoicing because we share in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. We know him and we know the power of his resurrection. Even in the midst of the struggles, there's this overwhelming, indescribable joy. So Paul didn't view his suffering as a problem or something to be escaped. He wasn't ashamed of it. He writes of that in 2 Timothy. He said, you know, don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed of what I'm suffering. He wasn't ashamed. He was rejoicing. This was part of gospel ministry. It wasn't only Paul that had this attitude towards suffering. The early church they had it as well. In Acts chapter 5, here's what we see. The apostles were preaching. They were ministering. People were getting healed. The church was growing. It was revival time, and they got thrown in jail, and they were beaten, and they were threatened, and they were warned, and then they were let go. Well, what was their response? Were they bewildered? Were they angry? Were they vengeful? Were they scared? Absolutely not. None of these things. Acts 5.41 says this. Then they left the presence of the council, what? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. You see, the early church, the apostles and Paul, they rejoiced in their sufferings because they were doing faithful gospel ministry for the sake of Christ that they were counted worthy. Now that's not usually the way we think or react, is it? Paul was relentless in his ministry. We've been reading through Acts, if you've been part of the four chapters a day. He was relentless. He preached new life in Christ. He confronted lies. He exposed idolatry. And what inevitably was the result every time Paul preached? What followed him? It was persecution, and it was suffering. God told him that in Acts chapter 9 when he was saved on the Damascus Road. He said, this is, this is going to be true of you. This is what's going to happen for you being faithful to the cause. Paul's devotion to his commission as Christ's servant, assigned with the task of, of taking the gospel to the Gentile world, meant that he was willing to take on Christ's suffering. And he was rejoicing in that. The second part of verse 24 is the second thing that perplexes us about this opening verse. It is one of the most difficult uh, passages in the letter. Let's look at it together. Paul writes, In my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Maybe you stopped and noticed and said, Hmm, what's going on here? What's he saying? How can this be? Well, what is Paul saying? And what is he not saying? It's troubling. Let's start with the easy one. What it is not saying. 
What Paul is not saying is that the the reconciling work of Christ on the cross was somehow deficient. He's not saying that what Jesus did somehow needs a bit of topping up, a bit of adding to, that there was a bit more help needed by Paul to finish and to fix what Jesus hadn't done. That's not what Paul is saying, right? It's obvious, we've been talking about this even at a few verses earlier, 21 to 23. It's obvious that this is not so that nothing can be further from Paul's mind. Paul has just finished rejoicing in Christ for his reconciling all things to himself through the shed blood on the cross. Paul is teaching us that Christ's work is finished. It is completely finished to take care of the human sin condition. So he's not saying more needed to be done for sanctification, for salvation, for redemption. It's complete. What is he saying then? Well, there are a variety of opinions on this. If you've read it or studied it, you'll know that. But here's what I think we need to see here. There is nothing lacking in the the atoning suffering of Christ, but there is something more that was needed to proclaim Christ's suffering to the world. Here's how one commentator stated it. Christ suffered on the cross to atone for sin, and Paul filled up Christ's afflictions by experiencing the added sufferings necessary to carry this good news to a lost world. There was more to be done in order to take what Christ had done and bring it to the world, to bring Christ to the world. That's the essence of what he's saying here. You see, Paul's ministry is an extension of Christ's work in the world. Paul was carrying on what Jesus had done. He was completing Christ's ministry of carrying the gospel to the nations. Like Jesus Christ, who Isaiah describes as the suffering servant, also the Apostle Paul was a suffering servant. And these sufferings are part of Paul's call to proclaim the revelation of God's mystery. Paul is presenting Christ's suffering to the world through his own life of suffering. He's representing, he's representing Christ's suffering to the world, making the finished work of Christ and the love of God and the grace of God real to people who heard him, who saw him, who heard the gospel through his life. Now, suffering was a choice that Paul made. He was willing to step out of his own comfort zone. And he was willing to risk and to suffer and to sacrifice so that other people would hear and know the gospel. And we see that in our day. All the time God calls people to step out of their comfort zones in small ways and bigger ways, in radical ways, to leave comfort and to leave safety and to leave security, to step out and to walk in faith and obedience, and this is what Paul did. I think practically of a, a young adult that I know who left Ontario to go to central India to work with children and women. A young single woman working in ministry in a very, very difficult a culture in many ways hostile to Christianity, stepping out of her comfort zone to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ where it is not known. Well, this is what Paul was willing to do, to take up his cross and to follow Jesus, and that's our call as well, for the sake of the gospel. This was Paul's, what has been referred to as his cruciform lifestyle. What that means is that in that he, in his life, he embodies the paradox of the cross, that 
there is strength and weakness, that there is victory and defeat, that there is wisdom and foolishness. This is, this is the crucified life. This is the Christ life. And we read an extensive list in 2 Corinthians 11 of what Paul went through. Maybe you've read that before. He had bone-tiring labor. He was hungry. He was cold. He was imprisoned. He had countless beatings. He was stoned. He was uh, dragged out of the city, left for dead. He was involved in multiple shipwrecks. He was in danger on every side. And Paul in his body carries about the life and death of Jesus Christ for the sake of taking the gospel to the nations. And in that, he rejoiced. He rejoiced in knowing Christ. He rejoiced in his future hope. Let's stop here for a moment and just thank God for the Apostle Paul, for what he was willing to endure, that the gospel came from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles, and we are recipients of the good news of Christ. Let's be thankful this morning for all those that God has called to be faithful in ministry over the last 2,000 years. Pastors, churches who serve in gospel ministry, missionaries, men and women who have served to live Jesus and to speak Jesus and to take the gospel. You see, for the Apostle Paul, this was not a career choice. This was a divine compulsion. And today I want to remind you, and you are very aware that today church leaders are around the globe under much strain. Ministry is difficult. Many are weary. Many are discouraged. And people who are in gospel ministry need wisdom and they need encouragement. They need courage. And devoting such effort to a high calling is impossible without the enabling strength given by the Lord. And practically, maybe here's what we need to think about today. How can you encourage a Christian leader? Is there somebody you know who is engaged in faithful gospel ministry locally, maybe somewhere in Canada, maybe somewhere around the world? Send them a text, send them a note, send them an email. Give them a phone call. Pray for them, lifting up their arms in the battle and surrounding them with your prayers and your support. You see, we are members along with those who believe the universal gospel in taking the gospel to the whole world. And faithful gospel ministry comes at a cost. And and maybe what we need to do right now is just stop for a moment and just to pray. The person you just thought of who's involved in faithful gospel ministry Where are they serving? How are they serving? I I think of people overseas, church planners, missionaries. I think of Pastor Adam and Angie. I think of Jay and Karen. I think of the elders here at South Shore. Pastors and elders here. Pastors and elders in Barrie and Simcoe County. And and I would just love if we stopped just right now and pray for them, that God would help them and and bless them. Maybe you can stand up where you are. You're going to see a prayer on the screen one that we've been praying actually from Colossians chapter one, that God right now would would help these men and women who serve in making Jesus known. Let's pray this together. May they be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to you, Father, who has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Father, bless these servants who seek to be faithful in gospel ministry. Help all of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you. Please take a seat. So that was Paul's cost. That was the cost that was required. That was the cost that he needed to pay in order to be faithful to God's purposes. And here's the second thing we see in this section, Paul's commission. You see that in verse 25. Here was his commission. He writes, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. What Paul was doing in this section is that he was defending his authority and justifying his ministry against those, we see that in 2.4, against those who almost had some sort of impressive celebrity status in the church. And he was saying to the church, look, Epaphras and myself and not the false teachers are your standard of spiritual leadership. Because I have a commission from God. I have a commission that God has given to me for you. Listen to us. He's picking up here on what he introduced in in chapter 1, verse 23, that he is a servant. Look back in your Bible, back to verse 23. That he is a servant, that he has a dual calling, first as a minister of the gospel and also as a servant of the church. He's serving the gospel, he's serving the church. He writes this, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and listen, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. He has this divine commission to be a faithful steward and to preach the gospel in all of its fullness to the church. He is God's minister, God's servant for the sake of the church, to bring all of God's truth, see that in verse 25, to all of God's people. You see that in verse 28. He writes in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, for necessity is laid upon me. He has this weight. He has this mantle. One of the things that uh, kind of were going around this Christmas were these things, weighted blankets. You know, you, you go to sleep with 10 or 12 or 15 pounds on you. You just feel weighted down. There's this, this heaviness, right? You're walking or you're not walking. You're lying down. You're sleeping. You're resting with this weight on you. Well, Paul had this, this mantle, this weight on him. He was feeling the heaviness, the call from God. Necessity is laid upon me. He says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. From this call, he didn't run. He didn't escape. This was God's commission. He said, I must preach. I must bring the word of God to completion. I must make the word of God known in the world to you as well, Colossians, and everywhere else. And he did. He did. He did not compromise. And in fact, in Romans chapter 15, he completed his ministry. Romans 15, verses 19 and 20, if you want to flip to that. Paul speaks to the fact that he did fulfill this commission. He was faithful to make the the word of God fully known. He says, so from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I told you before that that's the area of uh, Albania currently, from Jerusalem all the way up to the Balkan area, north of Greece, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. You know, he said, I did it. I proclaimed this this gospel. I was faithful to this commission, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. He was a pioneering church planter and preacher. And Paul's stewardship This commission that God gave him was to be entrusted with the mystery. We see that word mystery a number of times in Colossians. 
It was the mystery of God's redemptive purposes for creation. Now, against the teaching of the false teachers, what Paul is saying is that this mystery is not some secret knowledge for a select few group of elite people who can tell you the secrets of divine truth. This mystery is for everybody. This mystery is something that was formerly concealed but now was unveiled through Paul who was the first steward of this mystery to God's people. You see, this mystery is the fact that God's secret rescue plan was now coming to light. The secret plan, this mystery, was not some timetable of events. The mystery is about one thing, it's about one person. The mystery that Paul proclaims that he was a steward of was Christ. He is proclaiming that Christ has come to bring the Gentiles and the Jews together, that Christ would indwell the Gentiles, that they weren't excluded, that they were invited into this new creation as the Jews were, and that together they would share in the glory of God. This was the stewardship of the mystery that God had given to him. Look at verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is Christ, it's a person. The mystery is Christ in us, indwelling in us. The assurance, this guarantee of our inheritance that we are going to be with him forever. This is our future hope. He's gonna hold us fast for that day. Jesus is the center of this mystery. The one who enables us to know God and his purposes. And by his death and his exaltation, he has secured for us the work that was needed, the reconciliation to secure our glory. Paul is a steward of this mystery of the good news, which is for us the good news of a great future with Christ. So church, hear what this means for us, listen. The gospel is for us. The gospel has come to us. Christ is in us and Christ is among us and we are in union with him. This is the mystery. This is the mystery. Jesus Christ in us, who is our perfect representative, and we are members of Christ's body. And what this does is this stirs up affections. Christ lives in us, and we are in him, and our future is secure. Stirring up joy, stirring up hope in the future. Knowing that in him we are loved, and in him we are fully accepted. He dwells in us, his life in us, his spirit is in us, and we have this guarantee of a glorious future. Amen. So good. And so Paul was paying the price, Paul was counting the cost, and Paul was carrying out God's commission. He was faithful to God's purposes. He knew the cost, he was faithful to the commission. And second thing that we see here is that Paul was faithful to God's people. We see that in this next section in verses one to five of chapter two. In this section we see the call that God gave him, specifically for the Colossians but for all of the churches. So Paul was a servant of God's purposes making his word fully known and he was 
a servant of God's church, the people of God. And what was that? His calling was to make them a people fully mature. For the sake of the Colossians, he suffered, he preached, he taught, he endured, and he worked with strenuous effort. He loved the church and was willing to go to prison for them, even to lose his life for them. And for this commitment to the call, Paul poured it all out. He expanded all his strength, toiling to the point of exhaustion for their spiritual health. I remember once running a race and just being at the end of a a three-hour marathon. Just those last hundred meters, just knowing I had nothing left in the tank. It It took me everything I had just to cross the finish line. And here was Paul pouring it all out, nothing left, expending all his energy for the church. The word that the Bible uses in Greek is, is the word we use in English, agonizing. He was agonizing. He was struggling. But it was not his own energy. It was not his own strength. It was, it was God's power in him. It was God's enabling grace, giving him all sorts of energy so that he could labor intently and intensely for the maturity of the Colossian believers. Listen to his call. The call from God to these believers. Verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present, this was it, this is, this is what he was doing, he was preaching the gospel, and for the church this was it, to present everyone mature in Christ. He says, for this I toil, struggling, agonizing with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Well, what characterized his teaching ministry was this, that he was teaching, he was preaching, he was proclaiming Christ to instruct and to train and to discipline and to warn the church. He was saying to the church on the negative side, listen, I'm warning you, be careful, don't do that. Be on your guard. That word that we see there, this warning was to to make things straight, to help them straighten up, to avoid them from straying in into the ditch. If we were honest, we'd say we like when someone instructs us and and helps us and teaches us about what we should do. But we sure don't like the warnings. We like the the softer side of shepherding, don't we? We like the encouraging part. Just let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, today that the instruction from God's Word, the teaching from God's Word, is also joined with the warnings, the admonition, the corrections, the rebukes, at times, as is necessary. This is what Paul was saying. He says, I'm going to bring you the truth that's going to protect you, and I'm going to bring you the truth that's going to instruct you, all of this together, helping you move forward into Christian maturity so that you can become, so that you do become everything that God intends for you in Christ, complete, perfect, mature in Him as a believer. This was the end. This is what was in his mind. This is what God had called him to, and this is the calling of shepherds, preachers, and teachers today, here, and in God's church, to make you perfect in Christ, to bring people to completion in Jesus Christ. So we teach who God is. We teach who we are in Christ. We teach what God is doing in the world and how we're to join Him in that, what our role is. And in all of that, we seek to do the work of God, to be faithful to God's people as we make the Word of God fully known, as we make the people of God fully mature. 
God's commission to leaders, God's calling to leaders has not changed. God uses the church to strengthen you, to help you to become everything that you are in Christ. And so, South Shore, this, this is our goal for you. If you're part of this church community, this is our goal for you, that you become mature in Christ. And so, to this end, we pray for you. And to this end, we labor for you. And to this end, we teach you and we preach and we admonish you, we warn, we instruct, we correct so that you would progress in the faith. And as we work, God works in you. And as you respond, God works in you. And together we move forward in the purposes of God for the glory of God. All the while looking forward to what's coming to that day when we will be faultless before the presence of His glory. That's what we're, that's what we're working towards, that we, little by little, are growing more to be every day like Jesus Christ from glory to glory, progressing in our sanctification. And let me say this, Christian maturity, what we're talking about here, is not just about for a few people. It's not just for the cream of the crop, kind of those spiritual keeners who, you know, I want a little more Bible study. I want to show up to a second prayer meeting this week. It's for all of us. It's, it's for everyone, everyone. He says, presenting everyone. You see that, that word three times in these verses? Everyone, warning everyone, presenting everyone, teaching everyone. It's for you. It's for you. Every one of us, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how long you've known Christ, everyone to grow in maturity in Jesus Christ, helping you to keep walking. You know, church, we can sometimes look at being part of a fellowship as being a consumer. I take, I receive, I take what I want, I don't take what I don't want. That's not what God's calling us to do. He's saying, come and be part of a fellowship where you receive. Come and grow. Come and contribute. Come and receive what God would say to you and come and and be catalyzed and, and move forward in your Christian growth. Come and use your gifts. Come and contribute and come and serve others. For even in these things, you are being moved forward in Christian maturity. And let me say this. The elders at this church, we want this church to grow. We want the church to grow in depth, and we want to, it to grow in breadth. We want to care for this whole body, but we also want to care for the whole world. Uh, we want to care for everyone individually in this church, but we're thinking even beyond the local to the global as we pray and as we give and as we serve. Our view is local, focused to everyone in our care, but it is also broad. It's kingdom-sized. And we say, God, use us to be part of what you're doing in the world in these days. This was Paul's call to be faithful to God's people. And what he said and what he saw in them, what he rejoiced in, look at verse five. He said he saw their good order. He was happy with the progress they were making. He said, look, I see your good order. I see your discipline. I see that you are standing firm in the faith. And these were military terms. In other words, they were, they were in, in line. They were in rank. They were standing together shoulder to shoulder in the battle. Right Their, their shields were up. They were unbroken in their ranks. Paul was so encouraged. He said, you are doing well. You are standing strong against the enemy. You are standing strong in your faith. Your faith is fixed on Christ alone. I'm rejoicing in that. As if Paul was inspecting the troops. As Paul was working 
to help them to grow into maturity, we see three things in this section that Paul wanted. He wanted their spiritual encouragement. You see, you see that? Paul wanted their, their spiritual encouragement. He wanted them to be strengthened in heart, strengthened to stand strong in the face of the false teaching. And brothers and sisters, we need that encouragement. You see that in verse two. We need that encouragement to stand strong. These are not easy days. He said, you're gonna be encouraged, secondly, as you are firmly bound together in Christian love. This theme of Christian unity, Paul frequently mentions in the epistles in Ephesians chapter four, along with Philippians chapter two, right? He wants us to have this cohesive unity with one another. We are glued together, we are joined together in Christ. The love of Jesus being the unifying force that holds us together. If you flip over to Colossians chapter three, do that now. Just flip over a page, look at verse 14. This is what he writes, he says, above all these put on love, which what? Which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So where do we find our unity? It's in the love of Christ that binds us together. And this unity is essential for convincing evangelism. That's what Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Paul says, I want you to be encouraged in the midst of these challenges. He said, I want you to be united in my love. And Professor Arthur Patsy had put it this way in terms of how love works and how Christ works in us. He says, love is the principle that unites this congregation as the people of God and encourages, encourages them to oppose the false teachers. In other words, what he's saying He's saying this unity that we enjoy is what's gonna give us the encouragement to stand strong in tough days. So we wanna foster this unity, receive the love of God, and enjoy the encouragement that helps us to stand strong. And here's the third thing. He's saying this. He's saying, they, he's saying he wants them to understand this mystery is revealed in Christ alone and that their maturity would grow as they came to know more and more the, the riches of Christ, to experience it. And this unity that encourages them and helps them to press on, it helps them to press on together towards knowing Christ more and more. In other words, the fellowship that they enjoy, unity in the church is gonna help them to mature, and a growing maturity is gonna help them to be more unified in their fellowship. They, they work both ways. F.F. F. Bruce says this, this important observation, he says this. He says, for only in unity could they attain that wealth of spiritual experience which lay in a full discerning of the divine revelation. In other words, it's only in unity when we come together that we're gonna actually realize some of what God has for us. So we need to guard that. They didn't need to look anywhere else be beside Jesus Christ. So Paul is praying for them that they would know the power of his glory and they would see him. And that the revelation of God cannot be known fully apart from the unity of the love of Christ that is experienced in the fellowship of believers and that's why he's working and praying for this in their maturity. And so what does it mean for us to be faithful to God's purpose, to be faithful to God's people. Well, Paul says, I didn't choose it, it's my calling. He said, I didn't invent this, this is the content that God gave to me, and I'm not gonna conceal it. This is the courage that is needed. 
And for us today, brothers and sisters, to be faithful to God's purposes and to be faithful to God's people, this is our calling as well. This is our calling. The Apostle Paul was given by the Lord Jesus Christ a blood-stained baton. This commission, this calling was put into his hands by the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And that same baton is placed in our hands to be faithful in ministry, to be faithful to God's purposes, to be faithful to God's people. The work of God, the work of gospel proclamation, the work of building the church up, the work, work of reaching people who don't know Christ is not finished. It goes on today. So what do I think we need to learn from this text? Let me suggest three things in summary. The first thing is this, pay the price. Pay the price. Paul's opening statement of rejoicing and suffering gives us the opportunity to revisit our own view of suffering and our commitment to boldly follow Jesus Christ as we share the gospel. Faithful gospel ministry comes with a price. And so, shepherding the flock comes with the cost of toil and labor and striving and struggle. Your elders feel that, but we rejoice in the privilege. Did Jesus not say that each of us must take up our cross and follow him? Church, if we're honest, we would say for this past generation, it's been relatively easy to be a follower of Jesus. We grew up in a time when being a Christian was accepted or perhaps even in vogue or maybe even at times admired and respected, but it is not so now. Those times are behind us. Following a crucified Lord will come with a price, and and could it be that in the West, God is giving us a wake-up call, preparing us to face the heat of opposition, and in this season right now, strengthening us to be ready to live boldly for Christ and to be willing to suffer for Him with joy. And uh, are we surprised Jesus did not promise us a life free from affliction? He said, though, that He would be with us in the middle of it. He said, take heart, I've overcome the world. You're going to experience troubles in life. But even in the, the difficulty that we might have the labor that might be in front of us, the cost that we might be called to pay. It's his energy, it's his power, for, power that is within us, and he is with us in the fire, and so we can rejoice in our afflictions. The second thing, the first thing is that we need to be thinking about paying the price. The second thing is we need to hold fast to the word of God. In a day of moral relativism, where there's so many suspicions about truth claims, where Christianity is discarded as a source of truth, God's living, unchanging, infallible word is our source of truth, our transformation. And we believe and we know that the word of God alone has the power to change lives. And so where there's denial and neglect and disregard of scripture, putting it aside for fads and fascinations in our day, resulting in the downfall of churches and denominations, we will Hold fast to the word of God as the word of truth. We will preach it and we will teach it. We will stand upon it. In other, in other words, that we will stand strong that people will see the riches of Jesus Christ. These are the words of eternal life. We have a ministry. We have a ministry to proclaim Christ. You have a ministry that people find Christ. And so we will present the word in, in its fullness and we will present the riches of Christ because we are stewards of this mystery. This is God's commission to us. And so we will love it, we will read it, 
We will learn it. We will proclaim it. And finally, the third thing I think we need to see here is that we need to cherish the community of faith. In a world that desperately struggles with loneliness and isolation, and boy, do we see that in these days, we are reminded of the value of community, of friendship, of belonging, and people want to be in a place where they're valued, where they're loved, where they matter. And isn't this what we cherish? Isn't this what we enjoy in the family of God? It's in here that we get to grow in our relationship with God and with one another. This is the beauty of the church. And we celebrate our oneness in Christ. We celebrate our unity in Him. And so we're making every effort that we can to encourage you and to stay encouraged together in these days. Because this, the church of Jesus Christ, is a place of truthfulness and hope. It's the place of affirmation and encouragement. This is a depot of strength for the battles that we daily face. Brothers and sisters, in Christ alone our hope is found. He is Lord of all. In your love for Him, in your confidence in Him, in your confidence in future glory, be faithful in ministry. Be faithful to God's purposes. Be faithful to God's people. Toil, struggle with all His power and energy that works in you for His glory and the good of God's people. Let's pray. Lord, we see in the hand of the Apostle Paul that baton, and we thank you for those who have grabbed that baton all across the centuries to be faithful to this commission, to this call, faithful to pay the cost. Lord Jesus, help us in this day to rejoice in you, to rejoice in our opportunities, to rejoice in our sufferings, and to rejoice in this great privilege that we have in you. In Jesus, in you alone, our hope is found. We love you, Lord. Help us now to be the church. In your name we pray. Amen.